Welcome to the December 22nd, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. As you know, it is our tradition during the holidays to take a look back at the year that was, and always in our best holiday sweaters. Let's start by asking if you had one word or phrase to describe 2017, what would it be? Patty Calhoun from Westward, your one word to describe, or phrase, to describe 2017. Well, I've, always do, I've already used Trumpy and Trumptious, mm -hmm. so this year I'm going for unzipped. <laughs> well done. That, 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 that hits a, a lot of different marks there. David Copeland from the Independence Institute and DU Law School, your one word or phrase for 2017. Trumpery, which is a real word. It means showy or worthless, deceptive in character, and it comes from the French tromperie, uh, cheating. Uh, and we've seen lots of that on both sides of pro and anti-Trumpness this year. Wow, it's pretty early in the show already getting into some French stuff, but well, well done, David. Eric Sonderman, political analyst, your one word or phrase for 2017. Well, I was looking for words that started with the letter T because I figured Patty would do something with Trump. She mm -hmm. disappointed me a little, but it was very good. And, and then David chose the Trump th thunder. I'll go, I was debating between tumultuous and tribal, so I'm cheating. Those are two words, tumultuous and tribal. I like it. Ran out of the panel. Penfield Tate, attorney at QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Your one word or phrase to describe the year of 2017. Sorted. Sorted. I, I, and with, with the ID, right? I, I get you. Good. Very nice. Well done. Looking back at 2017, the tumultuous nature of the Trump administration and its ties to Colorado had made the most headlines. From travel bans to kneeling athletes, President Trump kept all of us talking throughout the year. The administration's policy regarding sanctuary cities put Denver squarely in the crosshairs of federal officials as well. Patty, there's a lot to go from here, but when we start with just the keeping up with the Trump administration and everything that had to do straight to Colorado, it wasn't just national issues. It was coming uh, to, to our doorstep, both the city of Denver, the city of Aurora, talking about sanctuary cities. What did you think about all the different things we tackled this year regarding the Trump administration? Well, first of all, I'm relieved that we're still here because I'm <laughs> not sure at this time last year I would have predicted we were. And we still do have two weeks, really, before the end of the year from when we're taping this. So depending on North Korea, we might not still be here uh, by the end of the year. But I, So that's I'm relieved by that. A little surprised that Trump is still in office for whatever reason. Uh, I think I would have predicted he might have been gone for some reason, boredom, whatever, by now. Uh, the, I think the most interesting thing, besides, I mean, the sanctuary city is not a surprise that he was going to go for that. The fact that Jeff Sessions keeps making threats against states' rights and marijuana, that's not a big surprise either. I think the really big surprise of this year was the uprising of women. When you look at the protests after the inauguration mm -hmm. last year and the wave of women's marches across the country, 
that were five, ten times bigger than anyone anticipated, certainly here in Denver, where it was over 100,000 people. And we've seen that wave continue all year, up through Time Magazine, choosing the women who are speaking out as their person of the year. Uh, people have gotten a lot more organized, some people, mm -hmm. about how they want to respond to what's going on in Washington, D.C., what they would like to see happen in Washington, D.C., and where we're going to go from here. David, uh, you are uh, the, the table's by far most esteemed historian, one of our two lawyers, but our, you, you've spoken well about history throughout uh, your, your time here at the table. Our reaction this year to the Trump administration, a lot of things we've seen even locally, has been like, well, it's never been like this before. This is a, a, a crazy pace. And it may very well have, but from your knowledge of other administrations, is this really that much different than other administrations have been, or are we just sensitive to it because of what our political state is right now in this country? I think we're, we're more, well, Trump is an unusual character. He's obviously the, the first president elected who had no prior experience in, in any form of government, including uh, even military service. Um, and his personality and frequent lapses into lack of self-control make it different. But when we're you're in a world where everything is just what's in front of you on your cell phone. Um, that, in a way, can broaden you in how you get information, but it also can very narrow you into being just in the present. You know, this is the problem that, that animals have, is like a, a dog is very aware of what's going on now, but not usually so good at planning for the future. And we're descending to that level in some degree. <laughs> you know, the, the, it's, just, it's just the stimulus of the moment that, that's going on. Um, a lot of Trump's, if you take away the, the, the tweets and the comments and all, all this other stuff, lots of the policies that the Trump administration is doing are what you would expect from a normal Republican president. Of course, people can you know, agree or disagree with that, but that's well within the normal range. One of the uh, surprising things has been, you know, I, I think people in, in 2016 had some genuine sort of fears about f fascistic tendencies. But what the administration has actually done has been very good um, in restoring the rule of law, in putting federal agencies back under, oh, we're, we have a governing statute, we're going to try to obey this most of the time and, and not go beyond it. Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, for all of Trump's, you know, uh, tweeting and, and anger about the press and his uh, personal animosity about CNN and all those things, Trump has treated legally the press a lot better compared to what Obama did with uh, spying on members of the press, uh, stealing the, breaking into the computer of Cheryl Atkinson, a, a, a reporter for CBS News, uh, their campaign against James Rosen. He's been uh, surprisingly good compared to what one might have expected on civil liberties issues. Eric, I remember one of the comments you made earlier this year was talking about can the energy and, I think, frenzied nature of what we were seeing, especially in the very beginning of the Trump administration, uh, can that be sustained? Is that, and I'm not sure if it has been completely sustained, but it doesn't feel like it's slowed down all that much. What, what do you feel about the, the frenzied nature from January to now? Are we just getting used to a new speed, or did it slow down? Good question. I think we're more used to it. I think I, I run into an increasing number of people who are forcing themselves to pace themselves, to tune out for periods of mm -hmm. time, 
because you can't keep up this level of intensity for a year or for four years. In your question, Dominic, I mean, I think the question answered itself. You had a line in the question, President Trump kept all of us talking throughout the year. I think that's his mission in life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the guy is a textbook narcissist. Whatever you make of him on a policy level or any other level, I think he is a textbook narcissist. I think he gets out of bed in the morning more worried about how do I dominate this news cycle? How do I make sure every panel, television panel like this around the country, every Thanksgiving or Christmas table around the country is talking about me, every dinner table on a nightly basis? And He's a master at doing that. Uh, to David's point, which I uh, agree with at least the specific point, of from a policy and personnel point of view, the Trump administration is not wholly different than any other typical Republican administration. But you cannot divorce the man from the administration. And you cannot divorce the tweets and the animosity and the constant upheaval that sort of follows in his wake. And that is the worrisome piece. This country, whether you're liberal or conservative, it yings and yangs between Democratic administrations and Republican administrations and has shown staying power to withstand both. The issue isn't that we're having a, a dose of conservatism, although what it means to be a conservative these days, that definition has certainly changed or that there's a battle going on within the conservative movement as Donald Trump is redefining it. But it's, it's the man who is disturbing, not the administration. It's the man who is keeping people up at night. It's the man who has created this sort of frenzied media cycle. Penn, it seems one of the, the uh, byproducts of the, the frenzy nature, one way or the other, is it has woken a lot of people up, a lot of energy and various protests, organizations, something uh, ha has responded. Is, is that a byproduct we see all the time, or is it because of this particular energy in this particular administration? What we're seeing is unique to this person and this time. The, the reality is, is this. Think about the context. We're at a time where there are investigations underway to try to determine if this currently seated president of the United States and his campaign conspired with a foreign government to steal an election. You don't have to lose a war if you conspire with your enemy and give them control of your government. That's the fundamental context in which we're operating now. And so uh, uh, people are pacing themselves because we're damned by reduced expectations. You got to sit here and think, can it get a whole lot worse than this? That the president and his campaign really conspire with Russia to steal an election? Then on top of that, you have a president sort of living out what I often talk about. Sometimes how you treat people is more important than what you do. His stock and trade is treating everybody horrifically. Everybody. And even his allies, he'll throw them under the bus and then back up and hit them again. And if he needs them, he'll prop them up and say, say something nice about me. And so he's self-absorbed, self-obsessed. And I fundamentally don't think, and you can't convince me, he's really concerned about the country. He's more concerned about his own perception within the country and on the international stage. Policy be damned. And so you can say that some of his policies are traditional Republican policies. 
if Lindsey Graham and John McCain are calling you out on a regular basis, <laughs> these aren't traditional Republican policies. We have gone severely off kilter. And to Patty's point, I'm surprised we're still here um, a year in. Uh, but we got two weeks left to go. So there's no telling what can happen between now and then. But it's pretty awful. It's pretty awful. Let's get to some of uh, the local issues we talked about this year. Even though it was an off-year election-wise, elections made plenty of news in 2017. First, the number of candidates running for governor grew and changed throughout the year. Ed Perlmutter and George Brockler jumped in as potential frontrunners, and by the end of the year, both were out of the race. The election in November saw Denverites approve a record bond package, and school board races attract millions of outside dollars. Uh, David, you're up first on this one. When all of the the governor's race uh, candidates started to jump in, it's there. No one really cleared the field. And maybe they weren't supposed to clear the field, but as uh, stealing uh, uh, Patty's line, the clown cars for both parties are huge. They're bursting at the seams. Are you surprised? There's so many people in the race and have stayed in the race throughout. The, well. The, some have dropped out, but most have seen in the race till now, in 2007, the end of 2017. No, it's an open seat, and as the lottery advertising used to say, you know, convincing people to waste their money, uh, you can't win if you don't play. Um, and as with the lottery, you're, you're, you're almost certainly going to lose in the long run, but, but some people win, and, you know, there are obviously some substantial candidates in there with, with fairly good statewide name recognition and, and a solid track record on, on both parties. And there are some others who, you know, seem more fringy, but as the 2016 presidential election showed, you know, some, sometimes uh, unexpected candidates can, can catch fire um, and, and win. A big change from, say, when Eric masterminded uh, Dick Lamb uh, getting elected governor in 1974, uh, and today is the, now these statewide campaigns are, are two-year campaigns. Um, it, it wasn't always, it certainly wasn't always that way. Presidential campaigns didn't used to be two-year things. One of the things that, that changed that was Gary Hart, who before he be, was elected U.S. Senator in 1974, masterminded George McGovern capturing the 1972 Democratic nomination. And part of the reason McGovern won that, against a lot of odds, was they started very early in 71, long before the announcement was made. And so they had out-organized the more uh, well-known candidate, Ed Muskie, the, uh, uh, who'd been the vice presidential candidate in 68, the senator from Maine, you know, like Obama did. You organize the caucuses very well. You start early, and then people have learned that lesson. Uh, you can never start too early uh, in a race these days. Eric, we're going to save the predictions for how it's all going to turn out to the next week's show. This is all about looking back at 2017. But when you look back this year, which clown car, again, stealing Patty's lengths, I think it's wonderful, which clown car, clown car is more noteworthy? Good question. First of all, I'd be damned if Penn is going to be the only person to flash this audience, so I'm going to flash <laughs> the audience as well. We'll be sure to catch uh, it. Because the flashing lights of the antlers are pretty awesome. Nothing does gravitas and take me seriously quite like flashing antlers. <laughs> Uh, and thanks for the shout-out, David. Uh, I was anything but the mastermind. I was a barely 20-year-old, low-level field staffer uh, when Dick Lamb first ran for I governor. I believe but he outperformed in El Paso County, didn't he? Uh, thanks well, to you. I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll, I'll take that credit. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, and uh, t to your question, Dominic, there are credible candidates on both sides of this aisle. So, I, I mean, I don't think it is totally fair to call either one of these a clown car. The Republican Party these days, that label more and more fits, 
because of the inter-party nature of the warfare. That there's a bitterness to Republican fights that you don't see. I mean, Democrats, you have conflicting ambitions, and whether it's a Kerry Kennedy, a Mike Johnson, Johnston, a Jared Polish, Don Lynn, Noel Ginsburg, at Perlmutter before he got out of the race, you know, they're conflicting ambitions, but they're not, there's not a bitterness that you see in so many of these Republican primaries these days. You think back to, you know, the, the Republican field for president, and, you know, Donald Trump and a few others certainly contributed to the crown car nature of it, but there were bright, thoughtful people on that stage, but there were such divergent views of what it meant to be a Republican that contributed to, quote, the, the, the crown car description. It's going to be a wild ride here. Two people who were often regarded as the front runners didn't even stick around for a few yeah. months. Ed Perlmutter, as your question indicated, Ed Perlmutter and George Brockler. It is going to be a wild ride. It's going to give us plenty of fodder to talk about. Lastly, in terms of the election just happened a month ago, you know, in, in many ways it was a respite between a wild, unprecedented presidential election and what's coming up here in Colorado in 2018. But even the respite was pretty wild. I mean, even low-level school board races, whether they're in Denver or Douglas County, Everything is so heated these days that low-level school board races, which used to be sleepy, are anything but sleepy or anything but tame these days. And it's just the nature of the, sort of the, the, the fire that is in politics right now. Penn, the, the story we started with the whole governor's race in 2017 was the, the first domino to fall, which was Ken Salazar, who many expected was going to just walk in and say, I'm going to be the next governor and probably be the front runner, uh, said, I'm not running at all. And that kicked off the Democratic side, probably opened up a little bit more possibility on the Republican side. But it seems that over the year, again, not predicting next year, but looking at this year, nobody has scared anybody off too much because we even had significant entries into the race uh, later in the year, Donna Lynn on the Democratic side, Thompson Crate on the Republican side. What does that tell you about the 2017 lineup? Uh, it, it, does this feel different than other uh, big-time statewide races? Uh, it does, and don't forget Cynthia Kaufman on the Republican side Very also. I mean, you've got the, the current um, attorney general. Uh, no, I, it, with, with term limits in Colorado, we have this forced... Um, cycle we go through where you, you, you get a bunch of people rushing um, into the race. And I, and I think Eric's point is probably the more accurate one, where you have all these conflicting, competing, and pent-up ambitions, and there's an outlet for them every eight years. And so you can't afford to miss your window or maybe another eight years or 12 years or more before you get a chance to run again. Uh, the, the reason we see so many candidates is, quite frankly, I think on the Democratic side, although the, the intra-party warfare is not as, as bloody and, and as public, there are different points of view. The Bernie folks are still sort of at odds mm -hmm. with the establishment Democratic Party. But on the Republican side of the aisle, it's just open warfare. Um, and, and, and Tom Tancredo signaled that before when he ran for governor as the American Constitution Party candidate, not as a Republican, but now he's back to being a Republican again and running for governor again. So um, the, the one thing that's going to be interesting is whether this off cycle we, we may have seen a different constituency mobilized. When you look at the the results in New Jersey and Virginia and in Washington State, where there were Democratic gains across the country, and it appears to be perhaps a more progressive voter who's been active, that may signal that maybe the Bernie forces are a little bit better organized, a little more active right now. But it's we're in for a wild ride. Patty, we've seen the Klan cars only grow. I mean, maybe a little bit of attrition with uh, Promutter and Brockler, but for every absence, I think two or three more uh, jumped in. 
You were the author of the clan card analogy, so I'll hand it to you. Which is either more noteworthy or, noteworthy or more entertaining? Well, the, you cannot beat the Republicans. I mean, Tom Tancredo, you, we just laugh when you say his name because <laughs> you point. think about, I mean, if he's behind the wheel, you're going to be on a wild ride, no matter what, because... He doesn't care what he says. I mean, some of the others are a little more circumspect, or at least are trying to follow a uh, specific platform. But Tom will just let it loose. So certainly the Republicans are going to be fun to watch. Interesting, Brockler, really the first one out on that is also the first one to declare, also the first one out. Mike, um, Mike Johnston, who was the first in the Democratic Party, he's still holding firm and he's still raising a lot of money, but that's a tough prediction. I think what's locally really fascinating is you have lots of young people really entering the fray. Tay Anderson, who ran for the Denver School Board, didn't make it, but he is still continuing. He, had, he led the protest at Ink Coffee. You've got young people who are really interested in making a difference. It happened at the Aurora City Council. We had a 30-year-old who manages a red robin who got I-300 through, so we're going to be seeing trees on top of roofs in Denver, unless all the roofs are suddenly designed like this to avoid the new ordinance. So... I think people see their opportunities to make a change, and I'm glad people still want to get in and do it. Let's get a quick take on this last roundup. Denver's booming growth and, growing, and the growing pains that come with it were part of many of our discussions this year. The various legal battles of the I-70 expansion project, the significant changes happening at the City Park Golf Course, and how the city manages transportation were consistent topics. Uh, Eric, your quick point on this one, uh, were you surprised by seeing so many of these growing pains in their headlines? No. The city is on fire right now. What do we have, 4,000 people a month or something like that in migrating, migrating into Denver? Uh, that's good news and bad news. Uh, but but uh, the fire is so hot that it can't burn without a whole lot of political heat that gets spun off. And there's a whole lot of political heat out there. The two most interesting issues to me that it really engaged on a big level was Amazon. And we talked about that much around the table. And then sort of on a microcosm level, just in the last few weeks, the whole thing around ink coffee, which became a big deal about what was really a pretty small deal. But it became a flashpoint where the, all that heat lit it up. Mm -hmm. Penn, uh as a lawmaker, you have seen uh, times where people have, to, have had to manage when things are decreasing, but now it's really booming. Are we, have we seen in 2017 enough handling of our growth? No, and I, and I think that is the, the pivotal issue for us locally. Um, we're going to continue to grow. It's a popular place. Everybody's coming here. But I think what we're seeing now are some fractures and frays around the edges, and in some instances through the middle of our society, because we're not managing prosperity particularly well. It's one thing to boast about all these new residents. It's one thing to boast about a red-hot economy, but we still have massive problems with homelessness. We still have massive problems with gentrification and people feeling disaffected and sort of pushed to the side in their own community. And those are tensions that if they're not managed properly, first of all, you've got to listen to people and be willing to talk to them. But if you don't manage them well, they will rip your society apart. And I think we're beginning to see the communities various communities and neighborhoods push back against all this prosperity because they feel they're being left out or even more importantly pushed out and enjoying and sharing in the prosperity. Patty, what do you think? What can we take away from 2017 when it comes to the growth of Denver? How angry people are over, if you look at that, what's going on in I-70, City Park Golf Course, 
Park Hill Golf Course. Normally, people don't get up in arms about golf courses, but they are right now, and that's going to continue. I also think the fact that rents went up at least 12%, 13% this year, certainly salaries did not go up a lot, and it was already tough for people. So we're losing our creative class in Denver. They're going to the suburbs. They're going beyond there. And we're seeing the first, for the first time, people leaving the state so that the we're still getting a larger population, but the number of people leaving the state has, is growing. David, wrap it up for us. Beats what was going on in the uh, mid-'70s when Denver looked like a dying city and you go two blocks off the 16th Street Mall and it looked, looked pretty bad. Um, the area around the South Platte uh, was bad for a lot longer after that. You know, Auraria got, got revived on the earlier side, but that was kind of nothing and, and you know, had some vestigial greatness from 1915. Um, it's a better problem to have than, than the opposite one. We do have the first city administration in history, I think, that's actually tried to make transportation worse um, in their bizarre eco-vision. Um, they've tried to actually create traffic jams. That, that's an unusual uh, thing for a Denver city government to do. Let's get to uh, the favorite part of the year, our disgrace of the year. And as always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Could it be any easier? Donald Trump and the 32% of Americans who still think he's doing an okay job. David. Donald Trump's historic facilitator, the Clinton family, who normalized <laughs> oh, sexual assault and the rape of Juanita Broderick as being something you could just brush off. And they infected the Democratic Party. And then as they kept on winning, uh, the Republicans decided they wanted to be infected, too. And as we rightly think about foreign influence in a campaign, let's not remember Bill Clinton's reelection being paid for by the Chinese communists. If you had Clinton crime family in your David Copel CIO bingo card, <laughs> Merry Christmas. There we go. Eric. Trump is but an indication, a somewhat despicable indication, but he's an indication of a broader phenomenon, which is troubling this world right now and certainly our country. And I call it, I used it as my opening word, tribalism. We are becoming, I thought we were past these times. But whether you look around the globe, there's a nationalism, there's a tribalism. That is very disturbing. In this country, we spend so much time on diversity, on black and white and all the rest. The big tribal divide here is between red and blue, and we are not talking to each other, and we're not bridging that divide. Penn. Donald Trump, because he exacerbates the divide and actually thrives on it. Very quickly, say something nice about 2017. The fact that people actually started listening to women who said they had been harassed, assaulted, or worse. I don't know why it took so long, but glad it's finally happening. David. The Constitution of the United States of America and the rule of law, as long as we hold fast to those, we will make it through any problem. Eric. Anyone out there, including a lot of our viewers who resist the urge to paint everything in black and white and still use some other colors on the color wheel um, and don't always go to the extremes. Penn. I, I agree with all of that. The spirit of the American people is remarkable. We're in tough times. We've had a tough run this year, but we're still here and moving forward. That is all the time we have for this special edition of Colorado Inside Out. I want to tell you about a special treat we have in store next week. To put a fitting finale to our big 25th year celebration in 2017, we're getting the band back together, as Peter likes to put it, for a look ahead to 2017. Peter Boyles will be here, our longtime host, bringing along our friends Craig Silverman and Kevin Flynn, as well as our regulars from tonight. It will be a great reunion and a fitting end to our big 25th season. Until then, on behalf of everyone here at CPT12 and Colorado Inside Out, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks you very much for watching. Good night.